Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 25. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio for the last time in a long time by Cody Saftik. Last time in a long time. Yeah, certainly last time ever in this studio. But I know you and Pat are going on to bigger and better things. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the show. But yeah, for the time being, last show with my main man, Paul, for the foreseeable future. We will still be doing the audio shows, but in terms of uh, being in studio and having a beer and hanging out, We'll at least have to put that on hold. And yeah, we got a nice little offering from the UFC. Last week, things were going good until they weren't. Started off the Friday with a Clay Collard hit. Great times. Our boy Cassius Clay coming through. And it rolled one. right into the prelims. Smashing the prelims. Things. My boy Kazula Vargas Kazula coming Vargas through. coming through, yeah. As yeah. a plus 210 underdog for me. Yeah, yeah. Things seem to be going good. Pops I hit your Randy right. Brown by submission. And that's where things were like peaked off. That was like jumping the shark. He, was, hits, yeah. he hits plus 500, plus 550 on my book. Uh, perfect. We got a sweet little parlay. We've got some, we still got parlays intact. We are looking good. And then, uh, funny story. So, uh, watching the fight, my brother's buddy comes over, whatever. We're watching the fight, just having a couple beers, having a couple tokes, whatever. Watches the fight. We got the Jimmy Crew fight up. Jimmy rolls his ankle, and this guy's just like, oh, I'll be right back. Gets up, walks outside. Gone for like 10 minutes. My brother's like, oh, I'm going to go check out my buddy. Goes inside. This dude's like curled over, side of the house, green, puking. My brother's like, oh, you have too many beers? He's like, he's like, I don't know what happened, man. He's like, I saw like the guy's ankle roll. And I was just like, I don't know. So they came over me, like totally greened out. Like, what? Don't know. Don't know. Takes another 10 minutes, you know, re- recomposes himself, collects himself, comes back inside. We're like, you're all good. He's gay. I'm all good. Sits down. Wyman fight starts. <laughs> Wideman. And I, I hate to laugh because like career, oh, maybe a career the, ending the injury. Crew? The crew fight he greens out. Oh my god! Comes back, recollects himself, comes back, sits down. Came back for the We're wrong like, fight. Well, how could you know, man? Because the crew thing's like a, a once in a doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we we saw it happen one time in, in Bellator with Michael Chandler, uh, but outside of that, it's like it's not something you see very often. And when he just saw the replay, I guess of like the ankle curling over, greens him out. So now he sees the Wyman fight immediately after, and was just like, no bueno. And for me, again, this is like I've already jumped a shark. Randy Brown got a submission. Now I lose. The Jimmy Crude fight kills a lot of parlays. The Zhang fight that killed it. So in terms of making a, you know, a solid a solid effort last weekend, it fell apart late. So hopefully we can get back on the winning ways this time around. Yeah, I, I came out a little bit ahead thanks to Cassius Clay Collard, but uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. And props to Usman. I had a big bet, which that was the big one for me. That ate into basically all of the profits I had accruing. Or I had been accruing uh, on the card. I didn't, my, my think, I didn't was, think he was going to knock him out. I mean, I know, after I the, the fact, decision. you see Rodrigo Dam did the exact same thing to Jorge Mott. The exact same setup, ago. the exact same everything. Mm-hmm. Like So many years ago. I didn't think he was going to do it. He did. Props to him. It was a beautiful knockout. What else can you say besides that? All right, main event. We've got uh, Dominic Reyes taking on Yuri Prochaska. Prochaska, Mike. A minus 125 favorite, Reyes can be had for plus 105. Dominic Reyes is kind of like a tale of two Dominics, really. Like, the one against John Jones, performance of his career, everything is looking onwards and upwards. John Jones is leaving the division. He comes in as a 3-1 to favorite against the legendary Polish power, Jan Blachowicz, and he tasted that legendary Polish power. Uh, obviously, he probably shouldn't have been a, a massive, massive favorite in that spot. But it's interesting seeing him. You know, Prochaska has one UFC fight. 
It's knocking out Vulcan Uzmir, a guy who Reyes had a split decision, very close fight against. Uh, Prochaska's, uh, people like the, this term apparently, or a shit-eating wild man. Like, he's coming out, he's looking for your soul, he's trying to take your head off early on in fights. Is Reyes going to be able to take it? Is his chin compromised? The one big concern I would have for him is he's given up like three, three and a half inches of reach. Uh, to Prochaska, like Reyes is six foot five, but his arms are pretty short for that frame. I, I don't have a, a great read on this one. What about you? Yeah, I don't have a great read either. So first and foremost, I'm a huge Yuri Prochaska fan. You know, follow this guy, back him, had him in the Volkan Uzdemir fight, and he comes in as the underdog. A lot of people are backing Volkan. On paper, huge celebration moment. On paper, we get that knockout. But what a sweat it was in the entirety leading up to that. Because like you said, shit in Wildman. This guy just comes berserk rage mode, comes at you. You're, you're over-unders. You're always looking to bet the under when this guy fights. And, and he fights like very much an under one-and-a-half type fighter. He just comes at you. So in a five-round situation, it's probably going to favor Dominic Reyes. If but, he can survive that early on. So. Yeah, if you can survive. And on one hand, dude won five rounds with John Jones. On the other hand, it's like so did Tiago Santos and so did Anthony Smith and so did guys that shouldn't have been fighting John Jones. The question about that John Jones fight, is John Jones just like, is he missing something? Playing with his food, fights to his opponent's level. He's done that before. Obviously, he did it with OSP and, and so on and so forth. But I don't know. Maybe we'll see when, when John goes and uh, fights my boy Frankie Murder. He, won't, he doesn't want that fight right now. Yeah, and again, I think when you look at that fight, it, you know how you mentioned it's a tale of two Dominics. And we've seen him look really good in the OSP fight. And then we looked him see him look theoretically good in the John Jones fight. He won the first two rounds. A lot of people thought he won the first three rounds. Mm. But all the same, his cardio didn't really check out in that fight. And then, and then Jan Blockwitz just blows him out of the water. So you have the tale of these two guys, and it reminds me a lot of Kelvin Gastelum, where it's like the version of Kelvin Gastelum that fought Israel Adesanya is the top five or top three guy in the world and certainly had a, a career-best performance on that night. But the version of Kelvin Gastelum that usually shows up pulls his punches, is not looking to really engage from the outside, has troubles with these bigger, longer, rangy middleweights. And for Dominic Reyes, I mean, the guy that generally shows up outside of that John Jones fight, he's low output. He's super low output. I just can't really fully get behind it. So when you look back and you look at the Volkan Uzdemir fight, hard argument that he loses the Volkan Uzdemir fight, but it's really low, low striking stats, low by the numbers. Not a whole lot happens. Not a great performance by him. He beats Chris Weinman. It's a, it's a middleweight Chris Weidman, kind of at the tail end of his career, moving up to 205 pounds. So it looks good on paper, but n- not, not a really significant victory. And then the John Jones fight is what it is, and the Jan Blakovic fight. The, even the first round, he loses the first round to Jan, but he's just he's not looking to engage, right? No. Very much like Kelvin in the fights after Israel Adesanya, he's just not really looking to let his hands go. Yuri does not have that problem. So Yuri's going to bum rush him. Yuri's probably going to take these early couple rounds. You probably look at this fight from a live betting standpoint and that Yuri's probably going to win these first couple rounds. And then after that, if Dominic is still around, you would, you would figure that the fight could turn in his favor. Um, but then you talk about the durability. Well, Jan hits like a hammer. We know that. But is Jan a power puncher? Is Jan suddenly a guy that's like known for his finishing abilities? No, he was more of a decision guy for, for years. Forever he was a decision guy, and he knocked out Luke Rockhold, which I guess, again, 205 pounds. He's like, not the most significant thing. Took a split over Jacare Souza. Like, I don't know where I'm seeing the power, and then just flatlines Dominic Reyes. So, so if Reyes does have a chin issue, Yuri's going to exploit it. If he has a volume issue and he's a, you know, comes off to a slow start... Yuri's going to exploit him. It's whether or not he's able to survive those couple mm-hmm. early rounds. So I am going to go Yuri in this spot. 
You know, I, I've backed Dominic Reyes in every single one of his fights. The John Jones one included, as you'll remember. I backed him in that spot, and I got a lot of messages being like, you got robbed, you got robbed, but I didn't. He lost that fight. You know, he lost 3-2. It was a close fight, but again, John has a tendency to doing that with opponents, and mm. then I backed him in the Yawn fight, and he let me down. So he's I a guy... Yon. He's a guy that's, yeah, I know you were on Polish Power, but Reyes has been my guy. I didn't think Yuri. it was going to go like that, though. I thought Jan would just be able to, if they went five rounds, I thought Jan would take take over late, and the odds were suggesting, you know, I figured maybe we lose the first two, hopefully we win the last three. I didn't expect him to knock him out in the second round like that, what, though. What we want here is we want Yuri to beat Dominic Reyes and then have Yuri fight Jan, and then there's another fight where you probably just bet it live, and that like it's really hard to put Jan away. So if Yuri comes at him and gives him everything he can, he takes it, he's going to put him away. Dom, I'm not 100% sure he does take it. And even if he does, you saw his output fall off completely in the latter half of the John Jones fight. So, th- again, this is five rounds. That plays towards him because of the way Yuri fights. I'd be pay- I'd be taking Jan in that spot. Yeah, no, we'll I agree. see what the I odds agree. are. Would and you'd get like. a good price, I think. Well, maybe not. He's coming off of, you know, dominating win against Dominic Reyes and then beating Adesanya. That's gonna, a middleweight. That's going to show up on the sports books for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I hear but you. I guess you're I taking mean, if, Yuri, though? Is that what your official pick I'm gonna, was? I'll take Yuri. I'm going to take Yuri as well. I'm leaning towards that. Under one and a half, but honestly, one I'd rather the under two and a half, which is not as good of a price, I'm sure. Uh, the official pick will be Yuri, but the confidence level is just not quite there. This could go either way. I don't see an under two and a half available anywhere yet, but it's early in the week. Obviously, we're recording a day earlier this week than usual. All right, we got G- Giga Chikads taking on Cubs Swanson, minus 150 Giga, plus 130 Cub. I saw it was like minus 185 Giga last night, plus 160 uh, Swanson. So action is coming in on Swanson. Obviously, Giga, you go through, you know, the the fights that he's had here. I mean, matchmakers have been Giga Chikad's, you know, real friends all, all along the way. The Jamie Simmons fight last time out that was that was a layup. Yeah. Uh, Omar Morales, pretty competitive fight. Erwin Rivera, pretty competitive, close fight. Like he was supposed to smash. Uh, at least in the in the Irwin Rivera yeah, Irwin's fight. five foot six. It turns out Irwin murdered a guy though, so he's obviously hard as fuck. In yeah. hindsight, he's going to give anybody a fight. I mean, the number the best way to beat Cub historically is take him down, sub him. That's not really an option here. This is I can understand why that action was coming in on the, the plus one sixties on Cub Swanson. We've just seen him if he if he's able to turn this into a war high output. Maybe he, the vet pulls one over on the uh, the rising prospect here. But, uh, yeah, another fight I don't have a great lean on. What about you? Yeah, not a great lean either. I mean, it would scream that you would want to take that underdog shot because, first of all, Cub Swanson's got a lot of good variables going his way. I mean, he's a savvy veteran. He's got a lot of experience on his side. But he's also got the ground game advantage. I mean, with Giga, and I keep saying this time and time again, why, why would anybody want to stand with him? Like, you need to get him to the ground. But, as you mentioned, matchmakers, even before the UFC, matchmakers on the regional scene were giving him the 0-16 opponents. Like, you know, he was built pretty soft, and then he comes into the UFC, he takes on Jamal Emmers. It's like, Emmers has a clear wrestling advantage and then just chooses not to use it. Mm-hmm. Well, Erwin Rivera doesn't have a wrestling advantage and just, you know, again, is not looking to take the fight to the ground. Uh, Omar Morales' fight, figured to have a ground game advantage, didn't really employ it, and it was it was to his detriment. He hasn't really fought anybody with a ground game to actually go out there and do something about it. So with Cub Swanson, I mean, he figures to probably be outside of Jamal Amers, one of the better wrestlers that he's fought in his career, mm-hmm. and he's a BJJ black belt. So if the fight does hit the ground, Cub's going to be comfortable there. He's got these experience of going five round fights, you know, headlining shows. 
all that experience. Like, yeah, he's definitely a live underdog. And then with Cub Swanson, as much as we always write him off, like, oh, man, Cub's done. Cub's got these injuries. Uh, he's always got one left in the tank, you know? Comes in as a sizable underdog against Crone Gracie and just beats him pillar to post. Then in that Daniel Pineda fight, Daniel Pineda opens up on him hard in the early portion of the round, but Cub survives. What Cub survives, and Pineda gets tired, Cub takes over, right? So he's not completely shot to bits, and he screams live underdog. I just don't know if I want to take that shot because, like, the problem that I'm seeing with Giga is that guys don't want to strike with them. Guys are super ten. They're super tentative as soon as they get in there and they see him standing in front of them. And it's perhaps that he's a tricky fighter. It's perhaps that they're not get, getting a good read on him. But nobody's going out there and bum rushing him. Now at 145 pounds, dude's six feet tall, right? He's super tall for the weight class. And again, he's a bit of a tricky fighter. Kukushin black belt. He's got that that rangy kickboxing game. And Cub coming in much shorter, man, shorter reach. I, I could honestly see a world where Giga just stays to the outside and picks away at him. So now Cub, as we mentioned, he's got the ground game advantage. He needs to use that wrestling. And one thing that we're not seeing with Giga because he's not fighting these wrestlers is that he is ma- trying to make a lot of improvements on the takedown defense. You didn't see in the Emmers fight, but what you saw in the Omar Morales fight, the two shots that he took, yeah, it looked like he'd improved you know, vastly. He's got that long frame. He keeps his fight standing. He can outstrike Cub Swanson. But Cub's going to have the volume. If the fight does hit the ground, Cub's going to have the advantage. Cub's got everything that would scream, live underdog. And so for our last show in the studio, I'll label this one a dogger pass. Dogger pass situation. I was actually, I was, what I was looking at there, there was one book that I have access to that still had a plus 163 hanging. I knew where that was heading, but, but they, they've adjusted. DraftKings Sportsbook, the only one with a plus 160 still available on the market as I look Shout across. Shout out to DraftKings. Best fight odds, so... That seems like a decent play. I don't know if I want to take... I definitely don't want to take the plus 110s I see out there. But yeah, dogger pass situation. All right, we got Ian Kutalaba taking on Dustin Jacoby. Minus 130 for the shit-eating wild man himself. Ian Kutalaba. Dustin Jacoby can be had for plus 110. Here's the thing about Eon. We, you know, When he came in, it's just like, ah, oh, this guy's a... He got, a Moldovan wrestler, has a real nice wrestling pedigree. European Sambo champion. Yeah. He just likes going out there and swinging bombs, and that really did not work out against Magomed Ankalaev. But f- fair be fair, Magomed Ankalaev, we said Tough the last go. time he fought, that's a top five guy in this light heavyweight division, for sure. You've been saying I'm, that for a while, but he's proving it now. This guy is very, very lie. Like, he could fight Jan Blachowicz he, he tomorrow, fight and Dominic I wouldn't be Reynolds. shocked if he if he got the W, yeah, to be yeah. perfectly honest. I think I think he's right there with all of these guys. Dustin Jacoby, obviously a really, really weird path for his career. Was in the UFC, fizzled out, ended up a glory kickboxer, really made some serious improvements. That last for fight sure. out, though, against Max Grishin, I mean, we were heavy, mm. heavy on Jacoby. Greasy. Had him in just Greasy. a ton of parlays. It was all over it. And, man, I felt really, really fortunate to come away with the victory. Yeah. Some people scored it for Max Grishin. Twitter, most and I don't, of Twitter seemed to have. And I don't think Max Grishin is some sort of, like, world beater at this division. Is this a spot where Ian Kutalaba gets back on track? I saw that this was, like, straight pick him, and it seems like early action is at least pushing – uh, the Moldovan, to be the favorite. Yeah, I'm actually going to agree with that and take uh, Ian Kudalaba as a favorite. He's got a lot of things that you like about him in that he's aggressive. He throws absolute heat. He's got some decent wrestling, you know, decent decent grappling in that he's very, very strong. He can get his opponent to the ground, but everything he does 
he just uses way too much strength, way too much muscle, way too much gas. Mm-hmm. And then he tires out. Once he tires out, he's a terrible fighter. But when you look at him at his best, like let's say the Khalil Roundtree fight, just takes him down and smashes him, right? That that's, would be the key to victory here. Magomed Ankalaev, how do you beat Ankalaev? Do you want to stand with him? Not exactly a great path to victory. Do you want to, do you want to grapple with him? Not a great path to victory. Do you want to try to drag this guy into deep waters? <laughs> Not a great path to victory, right? He's kind of got you beaten on those areas. In this fight, he does have the wrestling advantage, does have the grappling advantage. And even though his cardio is pretty poor, Dustin Jacoby's cardio is not very good himself. So what you have the tale is of if Kudalaba comes out and wants to strike with Jacoby, Jacoby's the more refined, more polished kickboxer, he probably beats him in the striking match. But if Kudalaba comes out here, makes this an MMA fight, uses his grappling, mixes it in, he can land those big bombs, he can land those chopping leg kicks, but then get a hold of this guy and toss him to the ground. If you look at Justin Jacoby, I mean, he's been fortunate in that he's been largely fighting in, uh, in kickboxing, in glory kickboxing for a while now, right? But when he came back to MMA, he's got a win over Cody East, the rapist who briefly fought in the UFC and was winless. Uh, that one that was at heavyweight. Was then he, he dropped... convicted? <sighs> not convicted, and that's why the UFC... Mm. Uh, not convicted. You can read into it. And he ended up picking that. up No, he ended up picking up domestic abuse after this as well. But the UFC did briefly put it aside, Todd Stout style. They did they like didn't want to uh go down that road. I saw the video and all that. It didn't look good. Winless in the UFC, didn't create a good of account of himself. The Walt Harris fight is like, oh baby. Anyways, I heard the heard the audio from it. Wins wins that one at heavyweight, right? Drops down and he fights on contender series against Ty Flores. Now, this is a very winnable fight for him. He comes out early looking good and then he fatigues. And we always talk about guys at Colorado and just treading at altitude and the cardio. Like, it's not quite there. But Ty Flores was not going to exploit any wrestling deficiencies in his game. Then he draws Justin Ledette. Right, Paul, Justin Ledette. The same Justin Ledette, the former pro boxer. The guy that walks around with a t-shirt that says, I'd rather be boxing than doing jiu-jitsu. Like, you know, discredits MMA as a whole comes out there and clowns around, right? So he defeats Justin Ledet, a boxer. He beats him with the light kicks. But again, this is not a threat to actually take you down and exploit you. Then he gets Maxim Grishin, and we're all over him because Maxim Grishin's not going to take him down. Look how bad Grishin looked in his debut against Marcin Tybura, again, a heavyweight, but we're, we're all over him. And he goes out there, and he probably loses the fight against Maxim Grishin. Now he's a write-off, man. He's a write-off. And neither of these guys really have the chops to exploit him on the ground. Mm-hmm. But Eon does. Now, the one question is, if Eon doesn't get this thing done in the first round or two, is he just going to become a punching bag, or unable to get e- fight to Or Eon just never shoots for a takedown because he's just like, I want to be an action fighter, which seems to be, <sighs> be. what he's trying to do with his career. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, though. He's 27 years old. And at some point, at some point, it's like, what if this guy was to start putting it together a little bit? Whereas Jacoby's 33. We know grappling's his deficiency. We know that he has a cardio issue. He doesn't seem to be making any vast improvements fight to fight. And there's, there's a reason why he fanned out of the UFC once upon a time way back when, losing to guys like Clifford Starks. You know, just like, it wasn't at this level. Now, has he done a good job of working his way back to the UFC? Yeah. Did he have an okay little glory kickboxing run as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But if Eon just decides to fight a decent game plan, which, listen, I know a lot of people are probably sitting at home laughing now, Eon, fight a decent game plan. But, like, if he, if he just decides to wrestle and grapple a little bit here, he's going to have big pockets of success. So it is close to even money. It's currently minus 130 Eon Kudalaba, and that's where uh, my heart would be leading up on this one. Sean Strickland takes on Christoph Jocko, minus 260 Strickland, plus 200 Jocko. Who you got? I'm going to go with Sean Strickland. Since he came back uh, from his motorcycle accident, 
uh, like his uh, the injury, right? It's like that's a long layoff for a guy, but he's still pretty young. He's still only 30 years old, comes back. It's a long layoff. It's like two years almost to the date, and he fights Jack Marshman. And in the Jack Marshman fight, he absolutely beats him pillar to pose, lands well over 100 significant strikes, absolutely butchers him. But I remember people sitting at home being like, this is not a good performance. Look how much he's talking in there. Look how much he's just playing around. He should just go for the finish. What I liked about that performance was it was him just shaking off the rust. He didn't need a quick first-round finish of Jack Marshman. What he needed was to bank good three rounds, test the cardio, get the confidence going again. And you could literally see in real time the confidence growing and the combinations start landing. And it just like he starts to flow out there, and it's all good performance stuff out of him, right? Mm -hmm. That's what you want to see. So now his next fight, he comes out there against Brandon Allen. This is... Obviously, a step up in competition. It's going to be a tough fight. Uh, Brendan Allen's no pushover. But we're on Sean Strickland on the basis of he got a good three rounds. He went, he went the distance against Marshman, but lands 106 significant strikes and his control every step of the way. He comes in there against Brendan Allen, who spent the whole time at Sanford MMA with Henry Hoof, working on his grappling. And again, masterpiece performance, man. 94 significant strikes landed, knocks him down, knocks him out a minute and a half into the second round. He had already landed 94 significant strikes, makes us in a takedown for good measure. This is a kid that spent years at Dan Henderson's camp in Temecula, California, the former Team Quest. Takedown defense doesn't seem to be an issue for him. I think he shows like a career uh, percentage of 81%. But the last guy to take down Sean Strickland in a fight was Kamaru Usman four years ago. Here he's right? pretty good, that guy. Apparently he's pretty good. Now he's a welterweight, and Sean Strickland is an 85er now, but all the same, man. It's like, okay... Takedown defense hasn't traditionally been a problem for him, right? He hasn't fought a ton of wrestlers, but I think he's going to be good in that aspect. His ground game, pretty good. His striking, pretty good. His chin, pretty good. Uh, outside of a, a less Zaleski Dos Santos, like, spinning wheel kick that catches him, you know, he, he seemed to be a durable enough guy. The motorcycle accident was the question mark of how do you come back from that, but he seems to have come back really good. And the guys that I know that have trained with him, like Chris Curtis, everybody, Sam Alvey, they're, they all wow in amazement about how good this guy is in the gym. And you hear him on record often say, the day that I show up to the octagon as the guy that I am in the gym, then I'll be a contender. It's just it's, it's putting it together. But as I said, two-fight winning streak now since the accident, confidence rising. I like, I like what I see put him putting together. Mm-hmm. Jocko's a guy that's serviceable. He's been there. He's done that. He's fought a high level. But one has to wonder that he's, he's kind of just slowing down a little bit. He was known for his karate. He was known for his striking, his counterpunching abilities. Maybe not karate. It's more like a, a Polish Muay Thai style, I guess. But his durability seems to be an issue now. He doesn't really want to strike as much. He's a lot more tentative. And he's looking to rely on his grappling. So Jocko's going to come out here and try to take down Sean Strickland. He's going to try to press him up against the cage, take him down. All those years at Dan Henderson's gym. Probably going to come in handy for Strickland. Keep it on the feet. And, and then if he does keep it on the feet, stays at the outside, he's going he's gonna to butcher him. He's got a really nice, sharp jab. He's going to stick it in his face, keep it going. You yeah, know? Reach is pretty much the exact same between these two. So. And what you, what you saw in the Marshman fight, 106 significant strikes over 15. He's just letting them go. Fight's really issue. long. Like he, yeah, and he the Brandon Allen jab. fight, it was times two, like twice as good. And if he comes out here and looks e- even better, we're looking good. If he comes out looking as good, we still could be okay. Uh, but is Sean Strickland 260? Yeah, huge price, price is... tag. Huge price tag. So again, I have to make a pick, and the pick is Sean Strickland. But in terms of like, value. is this a bet? Is this a top ticket play? No, it's not a top ticket play. At 260, the value's probably beaten away from it. But I, I do see Sean Strickland growing, improving as a fighter, and uh, this would be a good, good task for him. I tend to agree. I think the I, I like Strickland. I like him to win. Not too excited about minus two sixty though. Uh, the, you could probably say the same about this next one. We have Murad v- Del- Devalishvili taking on Cody Stamen. 
Minus 255, Mirab plus 215 for Cody Stamen. Um, good for Mirab last time out taking on John, Dod- John Dodson. A fight where he wasn't able to, you know, get like 10 takedowns because that's what he's done. He, wait, I think he got like 12 in the previous fight. Yeah. Sorry, I got the stats right it's here. It's 11. Uh, he had 13 against Gustavo Lopez, 12 against Casey Kenny. 11 against Frankie Sands in a fight that he somehow lost. I don't know how you get 11 takedowns and still lose the fight, but, you know, these are the judges. This is how – this is the sport that we choose to bet on sometimes. But uh, last time out against Dodson, obviously a former flyweight, but only two takedowns, but he was still able to come away victorious. My biggest concern in this spot is what if he's not able to get takedowns against Cody Stamen, who has a pretty decent – pretty decent wrestle game, you know, collegiate wrestler and all that. Mm-hmm. What happens in that situation? Who's the better striker between these two? I think it's uh, not as easy as the minus 255 price tag would suggest. If I was going to play anything, and I haven't played it, but it would be Marab by decision because the man loves himself a decision, which as I see right now at the time of this recording – pays it's like minus 125 that would be if i was to play anything on it that's where i would go but don't love it to be honest i think this is we're seeing marab taking a real step up and and i think he's made tons of improvements i think he's good i'm just not convinced that he can just like absolutely dominate wrestling exchanges against Cody Stamen. What about you? Well, I mean, he might be able to dominate these wrestling exchanges about anybody is what he's been facing. But yeah, I got a gut feeling that Cody Stamen pulls this one off. The play here is the fight goes the distance, but that's not a reasonable price tag. So Fight goes to decision minus 275. <laughs> that's what I mean. I mean, oddsmaker's on the same side. Devosh Feely, like you said, he loves himself a decision. He's a grinding machine. But Cody Stamen, he's proven to kind of be a decision guy himself. Uh, I do agree with the assessment that Cody Stamen is the better striker. It's whether or not he can keep this fight standing. It's whether or not he can use that takedown defense. And from what Devosh Vili's proven, it's like you can't. And listen, Frankie Sines wrestled collegiately as well, right? Mm-hmm. He was good. He was a good college wrestler. Took him down eleven times. Ricky Simone out of Portland, Oregon, the other team quest. Like God knows how to wrestle. Wrestled collegiately. Takes him down six times. Tarion Ware is a boxer. Brad Catone is a generalist. Casey Kinney's a little undersized, I suppose, but 12 takedowns against him is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned the John Dodson fight, and that one's important here, is that he only gets the two takedowns, and he's, he's two for 20. So the, the better level of competition he's fighting, they're eventually going to stuff these takedowns. And when they stuff these takedowns, what can he fall back on? Now, he does have that, like, spinning back fist knockout over Rofion Stotts, like 15 seconds, but that does, that's not... That's not a marker of he has good striking. That and just he landed a spinning back fist one time. Don't in forget seconds. that his number one training partner probably hasn't been in the gym all that much recently. Aljamain has got. He um, can't go to the gym because if he was, people would be like, "Did you say you were hurt? Or did you not?" No, he, he, had, he had surgery. I saw pictures. Uh, I follow Aljo on Twitter. Yeah, he had he had surgery for like a, a displaced like disc in his back. Um, so he's going to be out for a bit. But that means that he's not in the gym, not putting in the grind with Marab. So that's another thing, taking you know an elite-level competitor that you 
put in those blood, sweat, and tears in the gym with. He's not there for this. Yeah, and so it's interesting you say that because Cody Stammen fought Aljamain Sterling and he got uh, hit with the Suluov stretch, right? Essentially a knee bar. And it was mm-hmm. just like, oh, God damn. And so I want that as a takeaway. Like, even though Aljamain's not in the gym with Jamal Devashvili, the coaching staff's the same. He's a training partner. Maybe they analyze some of that stuff. But when I went back to watch it, Stamen's holding his own in the wrestling and the grappling exchange the first round, and then he starts to fatigue. But is that a knock on his cardio, or is that just Aljamain pushes a hell of a pace? Mm-hmm. Ask Peter Yan. The first 10 minutes of that fight are a hell of a pace, and then he himself gets tired out trying to do it. But uh, against against Cody Stamen, it's like he actually didn't look bad in that first round. Now, I know it's like, well, he's given up takedowns to, to lesser men. In fact, he's gotten taken down in his last two fights. But even when he gets taken down, like he's not a fish out of water there. The reason why Marab Dabajvili has been scoring 12, 13 takedowns on guys is when he gets the takedown, they generally pop back up. Mm-hmm. They generally get, and he just gets on them and he drags them back to the ground. He's able to out-muscle them, like, just, like, nothing. Exactly, he just muscles them back, right? But they, they're always... The all- technique isn't exactly a lead or anything, he's just... Stronger than a mule. Yeah, but they, they always get back up. And so what you're seeing with bad judging a lot of the time is that even though he's getting takedowns, he's not getting any ground and pound. And you look at his numbers. I mean, it's low. 15 minutes with John Dodds. He lands 50. That was one of his better efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, the Casey Kenny fight, 63. Katona, 55. It's all six. It's all that 60, maybe 70 point range, right? 70 uh, strike range. And Stamen is not like necessarily a whole lot higher, but he might weasel it. You know, he just might work them, get up, land the better strikes, get taken down again, work your way back up, makes him the better strikes. If you stuff a few of these takedowns, if you make him work, if you can outstrike him, he can make this a close competitive fight. And so when you think close competitive fight and you look at a plus 215 price tag, it's like, okay, I'm certainly intrigued. So on a card that, again, you know, the odds makers usually gets it right, especially nowadays the lines are released so far in advance that a lot of these favorites you do tend to agree with. But this one's this one's intriguing. So I'm looking at Cody Stammen as an underdog play. But I understand the sweat it's going to be because Devosh Vili just fights the style that we love, Paul. We love that style, right? Mm-hmm. I just don't know if he's going to hop, get over the hump and be a, you know, an Islam Makachev or be a, a Habib or Nurmagomedov or if he's just going to, you know, be a, a relatively mid-level grinder. And that's all fair, well, and good. I will say though, like Marab is nine K on DraftKings. Well, because if he's you're been playing, Draft Kings if you're gold. playing DraftKings, the guy is DraftKings gold. Statement's been statement's usually terrible. Like in if you can get keep that ten mind. takedowns on anybody, that's that's somebody you should definitely focus your uh, your energies on. Like there's, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that exact same thing. Yeah. But what's if, better? What's if better? you if you don't roster him and he does go off for like 160 points, like you're pretty much pooched. What's the difference in a round now because of the new scoring between getting four takedowns in one round as opposed to getting one takedown and having four minutes of top control? I don't know the exact... Because he doesn't st- rack up a whole lot of I mean, top control. If we go through this, so signs he had 99 points and a loss. Yeah. Simone, he had 73 points in a loss. A uh, bullshit loss, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Ware, 129. Katona, 124. <laughs> Kenny, 136. Lopez, 148. It's just like, if he goes Dumb. off, you're Dumb. screwed. Dumb. You might as well just like... Set all of your DraftKings lineups on fire. People are going to own it's him. It's hard to bet gonna, against him, man. You're talking like, me out of it. You're talking me out of a dog play. No, no, man. I'm talking well, about on DraftKings. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's like, fuck, man. The guy just grabs a hold of you and peels you to the ground. Like, how do you bet I wouldn't against like, that? I wouldn't really like him as a... I, I wouldn't like Stamen 
to be honest, as a DraftKings play. No, no, I agree. Because if he it's wins, either, it's going to be a squeaky split. Yeah. It'll be a close fight. Hopefully, like the and Song Yudong fight. And he'll be Yudong negating fight. the wrestling, yeah. essentially. But you so. see in the Yudong fight, he's down two, apparently, according to the judges, going into the third, and just puts it on hard in the third. So if cardio's not an issue, he's only got three rounds to work with, so he's got he's to hope to turn the tide at least by the midway point of the second. It can be a tough task, but at plus 215, I think that's it's generous enough. Right. To answer your question about the DraftKings scoring, I just looked into this. If he actually did have control time for four straight minutes, he would score 7.2 points. Oh, that's and each shit. takedown yeah. is worth five points. Yeah, yeah, so he had 20 points as opposed to seven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You want the takedowns. And that's that's why a guy like that's going to score high is that. Of course. And we talked about Tony Gravely two weeks ago. He had the same style. It's like he doesn't really hold these guys down, but similar to Miles Johns. He's just like he chains wrestles, take you down. You pop back up. He works you a little bit more, takes you back down. And that was it. It was a scramble fest. He scores five, six takedowns, then gets the finish. Yeah, it's like it's it's like my boy Habib. Like yeah. he didn't necessarily always hold you down. He got better at doing that later in his career. But earlier in his career, guys would pop up. The problem is he yeah. would never let go of that body lock, and he would just drag you down again. You know, twenty-one takedowns against uh, Abel, Abel Trujillo. Trujillo. Yeah, with a broken foot. <laughs> that I was need crazy. I need that top. And shot. Abel actually wrestled in junior college. The twenty-first takedown. I I need that. When they do like UFC, like NBA top shots, I need that one. Yeah, that's 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 the golden grail for me. All right, we got uh, Pollyanna Pollyanna Botello taking on Luana Carolina minus two twenty, Botello plus one eighty five Carolina. I guess you know maybe people are thinking that Botello has put in some work with uh, Colby Chaos Covington, who apparently she's actually got a boyfriend. Um, she posted that on her Instagram, so his posts yeah, about that being hilarious. his new girl. Uh, fabricated at best. Um, do you have a hot lean on this one? What do you think? Yeah, I think Pollyanna gets the job done. Uh, the price tag's just too big to, to jump on her, right? I mean, 8-3. and three, She's only 27 years old, so one would figure that she's still got some improvements to make. And you put her at a gym like American Top Team, again, she's going to be making these improvements. You also look at these losses, right? Jillian Robertson, former ATT fighter in her own right, she's got that grappling. She's got the BJJ black belt. She could pose problems. She's turned out to be a gatekeeper. But, I mean, she does a pretty good job of keeping said gate. And then Cynthia Calvillo. Cynthia Calvillo missed weight for that fight, came in at 118 pounds and was able to submit her in the first round. But, I mean, Calvillo is top of the food chain, you know, a, a former top three, top five fighter. And Jillian Robertson's at the very least a top 15 gatekeeper type fighter. Those losses aren't huge. The wins over Pearl Gonzalez, impressive enough. Kondo, that does nothing for me. Laura Mueller, that also does nothing for me. But she's now starting to get seasoned in the UFC. So she should theoretically have the grappling advantage, right? Uh, when you look at Luana Carolina, <laughs> she's a Muay Thai fighter, and she loves to throw volume. She's, mm-hmm. she's got volume for days, Paul, but physically she's not strong at all. And so just prior to her last fight, I mean, uh, she was kind of seen as coming in against Arian Lipsky. They're both Muay Thai fighters. Lipsky's proven to be a bust in the UFC so far. Carolina, she just won on... Uh, she won a contender series, and then she beat Cachoeira. A lot of volume in both We're of those fights. We're all over her against Cachoeira because... Volume, 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 and she's fighting Cachoeira. Mm-hmm. But prior to the Lipsky fight, this video surfaces of her strength and conditioning coach putting her like a routine, and he's like, give me 10 push-ups, and she like fucking can't, does it. can't do it, can't do it. Gets on the ground, does like two push-ups, and then it's just like, oh, man. Tough like, scene. Yeah, form's no good, doesn't seem overly physically strong. But it doesn't matter, it's a Muay Thai fight, and she's got, she's got striking. She's going to have better output than Lipsky. And then the Lipsky fight, Lipsky just tosses her to the ground, 
And then she just like, it's the weirdest setup for a knee bar. She's literally just sitting on this girl. Caroline just feeds her the leg mm-hmm. and she just falls back on it. So it really looks like she does not have any grappling and she's not overly physically strong. Cardio looks all right, right? Volume striking looks all right. She's super long and rangy. That's all well and good. But if you clinch up with this girl and peel her to the ground, you're in trouble. Which is now, exactly what Patello is going to do. Putting in those rounds so. with Colby Covington could I come in handy. So. Yeah, and being an American top team in general where they're actually going to put a game plan together for you and you can well, go it, out there and follow that game Is she putting plan. in time with Colby, though? Because Colby's not at ATC. No, he's at MMA Masters now. And obviously after his comments, she's not looking to do any training with him. But Colby going to Colby and... It, it doesn't matter. The, the main thing is is that she's at a good gym. She's got a lot of training partners getting ready for fights. She seems to be in physically good shape, and she's only 27. So whereas you can say, oh, man, well, I mean, she lost her last fight. It's like, okay, Jillian Robertson has something for, a, for, for, for fighters. She's like that barometer test. You beat her, you get over the hump. If not, you're just okay. And then the loss of Cynthia Calvillo, again, people were high on her going into the Calvillo fight. People thought she had a chance against Calvillo, and Calvillo's proven to be a pretty decent commodity, right? Mm-hmm. So that that in itself is just so much more important than what Luana, uh, Luana Carolina has, you know, accrued in her career so far. I, I would have to go with Pollyanna Botello, but again, minus two twenty is just not a very, uh, not a very nice looking price tag. Uh, whereas at least in the Stamen fight, I, I, I made it a dogger pass. I would take that dog shot there. In Carolina versus Pollyanna Botello, I'm not willing to do that. So the pick would be Botello. Um, but again, I just I don't. It's women's MMA. It's low level. She hasn't looked necessarily all that good. But I do expect her to, to be a better version of herself coming out here and get the win. All right, we got uh, a fight that was actually booked a while ago. I believe we've talked about it on the show. There's so many cancellations sometimes that uh, you get a little bit confused. But we have uh, Luana Pinheiro taking on Ronda Marcos, minus 170 Pinheiro, plus 145 Marcos. Marcos is a loser in four of her last f- uh, five fights, and she has lost her last three. I'm uh, A lot of people would probably argue that this is, uh, you know, uh, it's a massive step up in competition for Luana Pinheiro. But I think that what we saw from her on Contender Series, she's got hands. Uh, I think she's got like a judo background. On top of that, I think there. This is the UFC trying to serve some walking papers and put some shine on uh, upcoming prospect. Everything that I've seen f- from Pinero, she looks like she's got some serious ceiling, se- serious potential. Um, Mateus Nicolau obviously is her is her boyfriend as well. Training at ATT with some of the best people in the world. Onwards and upwards. I think minus one seventy is fair. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Ronda Marcos has seen better days. I mean, as you're looking at her with a 10-10-1 record, she's, uh, okay, so where we talk about gatekeepers, right? And a girl like Jillian Robertson is being a gatekeeper. Ronda Marcos was that gatekeeper. Ronda Marcos was somebody that was that barometer test. And if you're legit, you'll get the victory over. And if you're not, then you won't. But she just seems to be like on a downswing. I'm sure she's got other things on her brain. She's getting a little bit older. She's fought a long time in the UFC. She had been on record years ago talking about, I want to start a family, but it's either start a family or pursue my athletic career. And I'm juggling in my mind like what I should pursue. And she ended up going with athletic career. But one, one's got to think that now years later, she's probably starting to think those things over again. And if she gets released from the UFC, is she someone that signs with Bellator? Is she someone that signs with a losing record? Does she, does she sign with you know, one championship or PFL. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I could see the end of the road getting there for her. Um, there was a time where you and I would just bank on the, the, you know, the streak, right? It was a win loss streak. She won one, she lost one. This is someone who never won back to back fights in the UFC. And I never lost back to back fights in the UFC. 
But then, as I've talked about, the, the, the end starts to get near. She loses to Amanda Rebus. Okay, Rebus is supposed to be all right. She loses to Dern. Showed really low ring IQ in the Dern fight where she followed her to the ground. Didn't need to do that. Obviously, you don't want to go to the ground with Mackenzie Dern. Stuff the takedowns. Box her up, right? Box it, maybe boxes her up a bit. Stuff the takedown and then follows her to the ground. B- bad move gets submitted. The Kanako Murata fight. You know, Kanako Murata, good boxer. Or decent boxer, but she's got that wrestling chops. You know, puts the grind on her. You're seeing where Ronda Marcos is just not competing with the next level, mm-hmm. the next generation. And when you look at uh, when you look at Luana Pinero, 27 years old at ATT, like you mentioned, with Matus Nicolau. But this girl looks strong for 115 pounds, man. She's a natural finisher. Grappling looks good. Shows a lot of submission victories. But she's also got a, a nice little stretch of knockouts. And it's not like she's fighting necessarily a bad level of competition. Helen Harper, Bellator veteran, uh, decent striker. You know, goes out there, knocks her in the first round. That's okay. Stephanie Frosto, the younger sister of um, you know the former Bellator champion. It, it's like, or Zawala, Zawala Frosto, Gurgel, one point, she was married to George. It's like, she's not fighting the worst level, but she's going out there and looking really good at that level, right? So Marcos is a huge step up in competition for her, and is she ready to pass that, that, that test? It looks like a lot of the other girls fighting Ronda that need that pass, a lot of these strong Brazilians with good grappling and good striking seem to beat her. Ronda just loads up the right hand, super tentative, doesn't throw enough. And it becomes very, she telegraphs it. It becomes super predictable. The wrestling, just okay. Offensively, it's getting worse. Defensively, not all that good. Grappling, a little suspect. I think Panero can exploit her in a, in a lot of different areas. So minus 170 seems fair enough. And uh, I guess that would go with Luana. But not a huge confidence level because, again, women's MMA, middling. You have a savvy veteran against a debuting fighter. But I'm going to agree with the line here. We got uh, Gabriel Benitez taking on Jonathan Pierce. Benitez is minus 200. Pierce can be had for plus 170. Gone are the days of, like, us getting Mowgli at, like, dog money. It's gone. I mean, he's he's just super, super solid all the way around. Pierce obviously coming off of the, like, second. Like, I was a pretty, eh, somewhat surprising. You know, he got absolutely just dusted by Lozon in his debut. And then it was a bit of a stretch of time in between that fight and then returning to the cage and he looked a hell of a lot better against Kai Kamaka. Does that say say more about Kai Kamaka? I'm not entirely sure. The under in this fight is only at one and a half rounds. Um I mean I'm gonna pick my boy Mowgli. I just think he's uh perennially underrated, but I wouldn't say they're really underrating it because he's at minus two hundred in this spot. What's your take? Yeah, I feel like Jonathan Pierce could be considered a live underdog in that he comes in against Joe Lozon and gets sparked. And this is Joe Lozon's retirement fight. He's on a four-fight losing streak. He's not been looking good. He's the underdog against Jonathan Pierce. And win or lose, he's sailing off into the sunset. The fight's in Boston. And Joe Lozon in Boston just, you know, it's like sea level Kane. It's like there's a, there's a, there's a mystical being around it, a little bit of aura around it, and Joe Lozon goes out there and cold cocks him. So now everyone's written him off completely. He comes out as a sizable under against Kai Kamaka. What do you see about him? He's a team, uh, MMA lab guy in Arizona. He's just like a stereotypical lab guy. He's got good cardio. He's got good wrestling, decent wrestling, and a good grind. He's able to grind on these guys. So him versus Kai Kamaka, early on maybe looks a little bit out of it, but he just starts grinding on him, and Kai gets really tired. Kai took the fight on short notice. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But uh, Jonathan Pierce is just able to wear that grind on him. And when he starts grinding on him, that's when he has his most success. He's someone that's going to be a live underdog if he can get this fight to the ground and outlast his opponent. It's that this is a tough fight in Gabriel Benitez, who 
one, I mean, you know, a, a guy that's campaigning at 155 pounds, 145 pounds, big, strong, thick dude. Kicks American, like a mule. Kicks like a mule. Javier Mendez going on record to say, Javier Mendez is a former kickboxing champion, world champion, who goes on to create one of the best MMA camps of all time. For him to say this is the hardest kicker I've ever worked with is, for a lightweight as well, is just like, you know, a huge feather in your cap. But beyond that, think about the guys that have walked in the, those walls that have helped him with his takedown defense and his mm-hmm. wrestling in general. The Islam Makhachevs, the Habib Nurmagomedovs, the Daniel Cormies, the Luke Rockholes, all these great wrestlers, these great grapplers. He's had all that. Now, is he's he spent to- a lot of time on his back, I would imagine. For sure. How, how do you go out there and win these rounds? But like when the fight is standing, you he don't. Just, but he, then when you take on the Jonathan Pierces of the world, you're ready for that level. Yeah, you, you kick like a mule, right? Now, his, his takedown defense in the UFC shows 56%, but the guys that have taken him down, he hasn't been taken down since Jason Knight got him down once in 2017. So it's been four years since he's been taken down. And the Jason Knight fight, if you remember it, I mean, he, he pretty much, outside of biting Knight, Kicked his ass, right? Enrique Barzola took him down nine times. And Clay Collard, who he also beat Clay Collard, our boy, back in the day, took him down six times. So those two fights skew all the numbers, mm-hmm. right? He got taken down a lot in two fights. But outside of that, his takedown defense isn't all that bad. We know he kicks well. His striking's pretty good. And he seems to be kind of, he had lost to Sodiq Youssef, got knocked out in that fight. He loses to Omar Morales. He busted his shin up in the first round and then got really tentative. It looked like, this is another gatekeeper fighter, but it looked like he was going down the Ronda Marcos route where he's falling apart. But just like a great gatekeeper, he shows you. The Justin Jameses of the world? No, no, no. These guys don't get by me. And he looked really good in that James fight. And so Jonathan Pierce goes out there and tries to wrestle Benitez down and doesn't have the success. Benitez should be able to chop him up, outstrike him, maybe even knock him out. This fight goes into the third round and it's 1-1. Maybe Jonathan Pierce is still alive. I think he's got the, the, the grind. He's got the cardio edge. But if Benitez just keeps this thing at range, outstrikes him, he banks up two rounds, survives the third, wins a 29-28, or knocks him out before then, then he would get the victory. So I, I would have to go Gabriel Benitez, minus 200. Um, if you don't want to bet a bunch of favorites, they're all a bunch of favorites on this card, and, you, and you're looking to back underdogs, along with Cody Stamen, and who else did we outline as the underdog? Cub Swanson, Cody Stamen. Jonathan Pierce does does look like an underdog candidate, but my, my official pick is going to be Gabriel Benitez. Kai Kamaka can be had for a minus 150. He takes on TJ Brown, who can be had for plus 130. Who you got? This one's very difficult to cap because they both got bad cardio, so it's like whose bad cardio is going to cost them the fight. So with TJ Brown, you know, the things that we do like about him is that he's one of these guys, he's from Arkansas, he's a training partner of, uh, of your boy, um... And he's, he likes to pressure. He likes to pressure. He likes to get the fight to the ground. He likes to grind as as much as he's able to. He likes to submit. But if he does get the win in the first round, his game just completely falls apart. And again, he has eight losses. You look back and you look at most of those eight losses, and it's, say, it's the same thing, rinse and repeat. You know, He either gets that finish on you or he starts to, to fatigue and then fall apart. And his UC debut, I mean, he was looking like he was going to be absolute DraftKings gold. Goes out there and scores, what, eight takedowns in the first round against Jordan Griffin? But again, as soon as you don't finish Griffin in the first round, he fatigues. Maybe bad ring IQ, maybe bad game plan, and call it what you want to call it. He comes in again as the favorite over Danny Chavez. We were on Danny Chavez in that spot. But what I didn't like about TJ Brown is that he allowed himself to eat a dozen hard leg kicks, and effectively his lead leg is shot before he even decides to attempt his first takedown attempt. So his last fight against against Griffin, all he does is wrestle in the first round. And in his subsequent fight against Danny Chavez... He's reluctant to wrestle at all. 
that all that all becomes a bit of an issue. Like, where's his head at? But he leaves Arkansas and he ends up going to uh, Glory MMA and Fitness. So he's training with James Krause and company. And Derek Minner fought, fights a pretty similar game plan where Derek Minner just tries to go out there, bum rush you to the ground, submit you in the first round. And if you survive, he huffs and puffs and falls apart. But you saw with James Krause, Minner's last fight against Charles Rosa, it was like, you know what? I'll get the takedown and then I'll hold position. Try to submit him. But if I can't... Yeah, you don't have to overwork. Position, have to position overwork. over submission. And that one's interesting to me here, because if TJ Brown goes in there against Kai Kamaka, one would have to imagine he might be able to take down Kai Kamaka. And if he does and he holds position, he'll have success. Kai, Kai hasn't looked overly good, right? His loss as an amateur to Kevin Natividad, you saw on the weekend, absolutely gets starched. Mm-hmm. Lost to Andrew Natividad, his brother, 3-4 and four record. He lost to a 2-1 and one fighter. And then the wins are low-level. Did beat Rick James, but not the Rick James that you're thinking of, right? <laughs> His run was never overly impressive. Now, when you beat Tony Kelly, we got the underdog Tony Kelly. We're 1-1 going in the third. Momentum's on our side. We won the second round. We're looking good. That nut shot. Bullshit. Saved him. Saved him. He comes back, and he barely squeaks one out over Tony Kelly, but he got gassed hard after five minutes. He didn't go full Romanov, though. He still continued He did continue, but he he took the five minutes. He got back in, and then as soon as the fight resumes, he just scores a single takedown, holds him down, ends up winning the round, right? Bullshit way out. So now he takes on Jonathan Pierce, and he's effectively a minus 305 favorite against Jonathan Pierce. Fuck, man, what happened? Same thing. First round, he looks okay. Then he tires. Then he starts giving up takedowns. Mm-hmm. Once he's tired, he gives up the takedowns. He's out of it. And Jonathan Pierce ends up just pounding him out. And he is exhausted, tired in that fight. If Krause puts the right game plan together for Krause always Brown, puts the right game, well, then, game then plan together. Well, then we're looking together. at ourselves with a live underdog, plus 130. He needs those yep. takedowns. He needs to not gas out. But he's got the submission game. He's got the grappling prowess. He needs to just go out there and, and fight the proper game plan and have 10 minutes of j- gas to do it. So, uh... Uh, again, I mean, I'm going to classify him as live underdog. Better, better leadership going over to James Krause. But he's, you know, training with Bryce Mitchell, I'm sure, had its benefits as well. And, and you see Strong loves the submission game. And similar to Bryce, who might have questionable cardio, it's like you've you got to elevate yourself. you got to go somewhere and elevate yourself. Bryce is unwilling to do it. This kid goes over to Kansas, and they've got a, a great vibe going right now. You mm-hmm. see all their guys universally. They're just flooding the UFC cards right Yeah, even now. Molina on the weekend. 1-1 one, one going into the third. It's like, okay, well, Krause's magical James Krause third-round advice. And it's like, oh, whoa, he looked, he looked like a different fighter in the third round, right? Combinations of flowing. They're all in good shape. They've all got good cardio. And I'm sure he's stapling that in them. You want to fight in this camp, take it seriously, show up to practice, Get in good shape. If Brown does that, he's not too old to make a, a one last little serious run at it. If he loses this, he might be cut. If he, if he goes out there and, and puts it together, he could have one last little run, and I think he's going to be motivated to do that. We have Loma Lukbunmi taking on Sam Hughes. Minus 375 Lukbunmi, plus 310 Hughes. What are we looking at here? Okay, so you and I, uh, back in the day, this dating back a long time, man. We used to have this uh, Floyd Mayweather by decision, right? Didn't matter when he fought. Didn't matter who he fought. It was an auto bet, Floyd Mayweather, and because he was always the money line favorite, it was and an auto bet. he was like a minus... Bet. 3,000 favorite, but he would be like Most minus 165 by decision. Yeah, always. We used to do it with Adrian Broner as well, but he kind of, he got real fat and out of shape and fell off a cliff. And yeah, then you like, couldn't rely on nah, him to nah, win. No, no, But for a long time, it was a money, it was a money bet. And with Floyd, same thing. Like outside, I lost money on the Victor Ortiz fight. We sucker punched him. Outside of that, you know. And it, with Connor fight, we're not stupid enough to no, bet no, right, we exactly. were just, right. yeah. So, but when you, no, they his, were offering minus 300s, minus 400s even. It's just like you just, loaded up on that that was the move it was the move right now tisha torres isn't floyd she's not winning all her fights but the one thing when you bet tisha is that you always automatically bet tisha torres by decision until last time right 
And she does have the one submission victory already in the UFC. But she is such a deci- amateur career, pro career, such a decision machine until her last fight, which happened to be against Sam Page. And she looked Sam like Hughes. a world beater in that spot. Absolute one-way traffic domination. Every single punch landed, <laughs> right? And just tees off on her. Looks like a completely reinvigorated Tisha Torres, but also just makes Sam Hughes look amateurish and Mm -hmm. mind you i have tisha to win the fight so i'm feeling good in that regard but i have the tisha by decision prop and she is getting now she's hurt she's dropped the ref's looking at it but she survives the round and i'm thinking you know what she survived take the minute recompose yourself go out there hopefully tisha slows down a little bit because she didn't get you out of there and uh they look at that cut and sam hughes is like i'm i'm done i'm done it was done didn't want to be there. Didn't want to go. So I can I can never bet on that. I can never jump behind it and now be like, oh, Sam Hughes has got the heart that she's going to fight for my dollar. She got thoroughly outclassed. That's fine. It was a very tough fight for anybody, let alone a debuting fighter. But uh, in, in the manner of which, look at look at Jimmy Crute, right? Say what you will about Jimmy Crute. He knows his leg's fucked. His, his coaching staff knows his leg fucked. He's trying to push away the, the doctors and stuff and he wants like to that. Fight. And he wants to fight. So He's going, trying to fake limp. Like, you knew he was... Yeah. Yeah. He was going to have to come out there and shoot for a take. And luckily, he's taking on, you know, uh, Anthony Smith. He could have shot like a real lazy take. Have you take- just shot takedowns right from the word go? This yeah, we might, we, we, It might be a different story altogether. Happened, right? Because with one leg, he took him down twice and landed some pretty good ground and pound. Mm-hmm. But say la vie. It's game plans, right? Yep. What I'm saying is that I would comfortably bet Jimmy Crute moving forward because, one, I know he's got the heart that he's out there to fight. He's a real fighter. He's going to fight for your dollar. And two, it's like, yeah, he tried to make those adjustments. I was going to pull guard, he says on the microphone, you know? Like, I was going to do whatever I could. To, to get keep, the fight to, to the ground. Because I can't. Fight. Yeah. yeah, but to keep my fight myself in this fight and to extend it and keep the fight going. Like, that's the kind of stuff you want to look at. The, one of the reasons that we always look to fade Anthony Pettis is he breaks his hand and he's like, you know, time to get out of here, Duke. Pack the bags. Let's go, right? I don't want to bet on that. I don't want to bet on somebody who could be winning a fight and hurt themselves and be and, and not, not want to be there anymore. Because... This is the same thing. At the end of the fight, when you see the medical suspensions, they're all hurt. Mm-hmm. Everyone's hurt. You got you just fought somebody in a, in a steel cage, man, and you just trained to get here. They're all hurt. It's who's gonna willing to go through with that pain. So even though it was a tough debut, I just there's not a whole lot I can like from Sam Hughes with Loma Lukabume. She's like born and bred in the fire, you know, a Thai fighter who fights a hundred times as an amateur on her way up. Um, has all that experience. The one knock on her is she's definitely an atom weight. She should be fighting at 105 pounds. Doesn't exist. So she's forced to fight as an undersized 115 pound fighter. But she's nasty in the clinch, man. She's got an excellent clinch game, excellent clinch knees, excellent clinch elbows at distance, good striking. Doesn't throw as many kicks as you'd like to see from a tie fighter. But again, you know, just very, very adequate in the striking department. And I think she's working a lot on the takedown defense, on the grappling, being at Tiger Muay Thai. She was relatively competitive against Angela Hill. And on that basis, last week we talked about Ariana Carolosi, where it's like all we could really gauge on her is that she was somewhat competitive against Angela Hill. I mean, that's got to count for something. And you saw where it's like there are levels to this. She's already fought at that level. When I look at um, Luka Bume, I think the same thing. She's already fought at this level. She looks like she's improving. Looks like she's getting better. Adding that wrinkle to her game. How does this fight play out? Sam Hughes likes to strike. If this fight stays standing, Luka Bume has the advantage. Sam Hughes tries to engage her and take the fight to the ground. And it spends time in the clinch. We got the clinch advantage. And if Sam Hughes does take her down, she's not doing it for 15 minutes. She's not going out there with a game plan of only taking Luka Bume down over and over. 
So got to go with Loma. But the three seventy five price tag, it's like good god. And where else? I would normally improve it by Loma by decision, right? Exactly. But I, I can't trust that anymore because at any point she blasts her in the face with an elbow and and, and cuts her up. Then Sam Hughes could all of a sudden not quite want to be there. It seems anymore. like just a great pass. Yeah, Sam Hughes also blew a fourth round title fight against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. Same thing. She wins the first three rounds and gets submitted in the fourth, where it's just like she gets tired and her game plan falls apart. Gets taken down, gets desperate, gets submitted. It's a nasty submission, inverted triangle, but all the same, there's a precedent there. So that'll be the pick. Luca Bume just don't love the price tag. Andreas Mikolitis takes on KB Buller, minus 230 Mikolitis, plus 195 Buller. Mikolitis uh, lost his debut fight. He was actually looking not too bad in that first round um, against, what's that guy's name again? Modesta Bukaukas. Modestus Bukauskas. Bukaki. Um, Bukaki Veron. Who obviously Bukauskas went on in his next fight and got got laid out by Jimmy Crute. And, uh, I mean, that's there's no real shame in that. And, and then he fought Prince Michael. And he did okay Luxor against. Chuck, and he may have gotten robbed. Like, it was a, oh, he I did okay know. in that spot. It was, spot, a, but but it was like, a close fight. It was a close fight. And then, what, uh, Bukowskis hits him with something, like, right at the end of round one. 12 to 6 elbows at the back of the head. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then he uh, wasn't, that was the cage door open. Mm, the, yeah, of course. The guy coming into the cage opens it. So he kind of, st- he thought he could lean back against the cage. And he stumbles, and, and then they stop it. So he didn't look all that bad. KB Bowler, Canadian guy, um, super, super smart dude and all of that stuff. Like I liked his interviews that I saw from him uh, coming into his first fight against Tom Breeze. He got, what, dropped by a jab and just completely starched uh, getting going. So I guess that's why the odds are the way they are in this spot, but... It's hard to put trust in KB Buller eating one jab and, and basically folding. I'll pick Mikolitis because I, I, I thought at least he looked okay in his debut. Um, but I don't love it. What about you? Yeah, I got to agree. So like you mentioned with KB Buller, he's a really smart guy, and that's actually to his detriment a little bit. So he was an undefeated fighter in Canada. And then in 2013, he's 4-0, right? He watches a teammate at a show get stretchered out and break his jaw. And KB's like, oh my god, like that that can happen. Like I, I'm not doing this. And like, this is Mikolita's story on top of that coming down from 205 against Bukowski's last time out. So. Yeah, but what I'm saying with KB is he sees an opponent, uh, a teammate get hurt at a show, and it's just like this isn't for me, man. I don't want to risk injury. So he he bails out of the sport effectively for five years. And came back in 2018. He took off from 2013, 2018. Because back in 2018, beats a four and eight opponent. Okay. Right? Expected. Derek Boyle's on a six-fight losing streak. Beats him. He's 13-12. and 12. Cody Cron's on a seven-fight losing streak. Beats him. He's 16-13. Then he beats Matt Dwyer, right? It's important to note. Beat Dwyer, who had fought in the UFC at 170 pounds. Yep. But KB Bular's six foot four. He has a big body. Beating Matt Dwyer, especially he was a five-round fight. Looked okay. Landing a nice little question mark kick as well. It comes to the UFC, it's a big task taking on Tom Breeze on short notice. I mean, it's not exactly a favorable matchup for him, but yeah, he lives out of it of sorts. Tom Breeze, former former welterweight as well, though. Tom Breeze, former welterweight. And even though this guy's six foot four, it's like he is a thinking man. And as a thinking man, he's not looking to go and pressure you. He's not looking to go out there and, you know, have a slugfest. He's not chasing 50 Gs. 50 Gs is not worth my brain matter. Plus... Cub Swanson's on the card, so what are the chances of me getting the 50 Gs anyways? So you don't, you don't even go for it whatsoever. 
And as a result, like I just don't know what his upside is. He's now almost 30 years old. That big layoff, he has there's a huge gap of competition, right? Just hasn't fought in great guys. And then to see him get absolutely starched by Tom Breeze, like you said, a jab that drops him less than two minutes into the first round. It's like not it's not a particularly good look. Uh Mikolitis, Mikolitis, you know, 32, but Here's a guy that actually left Greece, came down. He's a grappling champion, right? He's currently a BJJ black belt. He had competed extensively in grappling tournaments in Europe, uh, predominantly Greece. He's actually born in Kazakhstan to, to Greek parents, moved back to Greece. But, I mean, he's gone a long way in improving his skill set. Comes to the UFC, he spent time with Antonio McKee's camp, Team Body Shop, working with those guys, working with Rampage Jackson before he got super fat and out of shape. Spent time at King's MMA with Rafael Cordero. Adds all these wrinkles to his game. Goes on a nice little run here, right? I mean, consider that he would have been on an eight-fight winning streak if not for a loss to v- Vladimir Maniv, who's a gangster. Mm-hmm. Comes to the UFC, gets Bacoukas. Uh, uh, is looking good, right? Looks okay. And then, like you said, you know, 12 to 6 elbows, back of the head. Cage door opens. He falls over. They stop it. He did pull out of a fight with Antonio Arroyo after that, but he's had a year off to you know get his head right since the Bukowski's fight. I'm sure he comes out here. I don't think he's chinny. I don't think that KB Bular's got the 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 power or the striking offense to go put Mikalidis out. I think Mikalidis will just be able to chew him out from the outside, output him, land the better strikes, um, and that's the way I see this one going. So I'm, I'm going to go have to go with. Uh, with the, uh, the the Greek fighter, Andreas Mikalidis, to get the victory. Minus 230, again, is it a price tag that I love? Absolutely not. But I, I, I got to I gotta agree that he's the rightful favorite and that I think he's going to win the fight. The over one and a half, interesting, at minus 135. So I know that we're all laughing at KB Bular getting jabbed in less than two minutes and knocked out. But he's also just went five rounds in the fight before that with the UFC veteran. So Mikalidis, you know, he does show some decent first-round finishes on his record. Ah, uh, you know what? He's yeah. He shows a ton of first round finishes. Is, on. Yeah, exactly. He knocked out your boy Marcel Fortuna, Titan FC fifty four, spinning back kick. So it's like, yeah. Do you want to go down that road? Probably not. But Marcel he, he's Fortuna the better knocked out. You know, Anthony Hamilton, Anthony <laughs> Anthony Bumbleton, the the worst chin in UFC. Yeah, but he fought at history. he fought at heavyweight, right? Mikolitis is now fighting at one hundred and eighty five pounds. It'll be. Like, I mean, with Mikolitis, I feel like you. Moving down from 205 yeah, to 185, you should probably watch the weigh-ins before you really do anything on this fight, to be perfectly honest. Because that, dropping those 20 pounds, is hard for the best of them. Um, and finally, uh, the bane of Cody's existence, oh Luke Sanders, God. takes on Felipe Calares. <laughs> uh, Luke Sanders, minus 140. Kolaris plus one twenty. They're giving you a fair a fair price on this guy. Can you trust him though? I actually the only one that I the only thing I've bet on this entire card so far before talking to you was I took the under two and a half rounds here because I caught him a plus one forty five. I see it starting to move to like plus one twenty, plus one thirty. I think it's going to continue to go around because it's a Luke Sanders fight. Is he going to, like, he could look great for a long time. Eventually, he's going to do something stupid, compromise himself, and, and you know, get knocked out. That's just the 100%. way. He does me dirty every time. That's just what happens with Luke Sanders. Uh, what, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, so how stupid would I have to be to bet Luke Sanders again? But, I, I mean, <laughs> looking You're at the, do it. Yeah, I mean, looking at the tape, it seems like it's a spot for Luke Sanders. Minus 140, price tag. You never get price tags like that on Luke Sanders, really. Only he's so untrustworthy. Has blown so many spots that you at this point all the skills there, but you just you're you're very willing to look look aside. I mean, we all know about his personal history, breaking up with uh, the hottest star in like WWE wrestling. Did he break up with her? She but I'm told. Up. Wow. That's what I'm told. Bad decision. 
Yeah, he wanted to focus on his career, and then his career mid- middles out after that. But man, so he's on a great run. He signs with the UFC, he's undefeated, beats Maximo Blanco. It's a great win. The Uri Alcantara fight, he looks like a top five guy. He 10 8s Uri Alcantara. He's smashing him. First round, oh my God. Second round, he's killing the man. And then he just rolls onto a knee bar and submits him. One of the biggest comebacks you'll ever see, next, short of Chite Congo, Pat Barry. But it was just like, oh my God. And that's how he loses his first fight ever. So he gets Andre Sugmantath. Wins the first round, looking good in the first round. And then the second round, what, why is he standing with him still at this point? Don't know. Counter right, boom, out. It's like, oh man, now he's been smitten and he's been knocked out. But he won the first round of both those fights and the skill appears to be there. Beats Patrick Williams, but didn't really all look all that good. The Ronnie Yaya fight, bad game plan. Gets heel hooked again by Yaya. So submission defense has been of an issue. Looked fucking awesome against Hennon Burrell. And then the, Manate, the Nate Maness Yeah, fight. the corpse. It's the another, corpse of Hennon Burrell. Yeah, fair enough. It looks good against the corpse of Hennon Burrell. Beats him up. And then the Nate Maness fight. It's, a, it's, it's classic Luke Sanders. He looks awesome in the first round. He hurts him. He drops him. He's got him stung. He's looking very fast. He's looking very fluid. Sharp off the, with the left hand. Southpaw stance. And then it's like durability, man. Like the guy, eventually he gets caught. When he gets caught, he doesn't wear the damage good. He goes into berserker mode. Nasty and then Nate, gets Nasty Nate drops him once clean, drops him the second time clean, and then it's a, it's a it's a whole it's a whole mixture. The Yuri fight, he just gets straight up submitted, and the Sugman Toth fight, he just gets straight up clipped. And then this Nate Maness fight, he gets clipped and then submitted. You know. So why is the this total then? Two and a half rounds for him to make a mistake or to find the finish? Because he is a potent finisher when he's on his best. He's a potent finisher, but I think the reason why is that Felipe Corrales appears to just have like a cast iron chin, right? So he's nine and two, but both of his losses are by decision. Mm-hmm. Against Geraldo Freitas, he gets outgrappled, but he doesn't get submitted, he doesn't get knocked out. It's the Montel Jackson fight where Montel unloads on Fair. this guy and his chin looks fantastic, right? So his ability to absorb damage is why he's a live underdog here, is that Luke Sanders is probably going to whip his ass in the first round. In fact, I would rather live bet Felipe Corrales after the first round if he got out of it, because you're going to get a much better price tag than plus 120. And he is durable. Now, what Sanders needs to do is go out there and, again, fight a good game plan, which he never does. But if he was to, he is a better striker, and he's a much better wrestler. When I look back on Corrales and I look at uh, the tape on him, is that um, Geraldo de Freitas took him down six times. Domingo Pilarte took him down twice. Montel Jackson took him down 11 times. He shows a 34% takedown defense. So Sanders, who does have a wrestling advantage. But you're going to rely on him to I know. Go do you'd that. have to rely on him. I, bro, brother, you are reading my mind. You are reading my mind for sure. Is that you, you can't rely on him to do anything. The skill's there, the ability's there. But is he actually going to use that skill and that ability? Now, he'll have, he'll have pockets of success it. standing. And you'll have pockets of success on the ground. It's whether you tie that all together. Now, here's the reason why we started this off by saying I was going to take Luke Sanders, and I am going to take Luke Sanders, is that in order to exploit this guy, you do need some pop in those punches. And from Felipe Corrales, it's not there. The, the, the Geraldo de Freitas fight, 15 minutes, he lands 21 strikes. The Domingo Pilarte fight, he lands 23. And the Montel Jackson fight, he landed 7. They all went the distance, Paul. 7, 23, 21. You, in order to knock out Luke Sanders, you're actually going to have to hit him, and you're going to have to hit him with something somewhat meaningful. So if he's unable to get Luke off of him, then Luke's just going to have his way, march him down, beat him up, and then at that point, you're not going to hit that under two and a half. It'd be Luke Sanders cruising to a decision. Luke, Luke by decision, over two and a half. So uh, the over two and a half is actually minus 170. doesn't actually look good, but I would take Luke Sanders, and I'd be willing to wager, if Sanders does win, that he probably does win a decision. 
wins the first two rounds and then coasts the third and doesn't get finished. All right. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of hopeful wishing, oh, hopeful wishing with Luke wanting Sanders too. My God, um, any cool you got hands. any you got any hot uh, PFL picks here? I haven't really. There's nothing at that the jumps card, off the board. But, like cause yeah. there's some people asking about it. And it's yeah, just like yeah. there's nothing. There there is no Clay Collard for me. But we're in the process of like getting ready to move here, so it's. These yeah. ca- this card, this UFC card this week, plus the uh, PFL haven't been getting the same level of attention for me. But d- just to rifle it through really quick, because it's going to be another, you're going to want a couple favorites. It's just putting the right ones together. So Kamozi versus Sordi. Sordi should win. He's definitely looking good his last couple of fights, but I don't I don't love it that Kamozi could just wear him down and it'd be a greasy fight. So at the 355, that'd be like potential apple pie shitter. I wouldn't love it, right? Rory should fucking Roy McDonald don't pull Luke Sanders just take take down city this mm-hmm. should be a fucking walk in the park Curtis Melinder cannot wrestle Saba Hamasi looked like you know a D1 all-american a national champion against him all of his fights in the UFC that he lost he could not literally take down defense non-existent Rory should just walk right through him at five to one and still parlay piece. Uh, Nikolai Alexikin, former one FC veteran. This guy's cast iron, dude. Super tough. Uh, he's one of these like Sambo guys that can wrestle. Tough Russian guy. A lot of experience. He'll be able to get these takedowns on, on Sadu Usai, Swedish Muay Thai fighter. Uh, once he gets these takedowns, it's just going to be ground and pound, grind him. So even though he's minus 290, he's going to be the play as well. Ray Cooper should walk right through Jason Ponnet, French striker, 30 pro fights. Like he's a ni- 19 and 10 journeyman. Uh, Ray Cooper, you know, at his best, walks through a guy like this. He is 650, and it is striker versus striker. But Cooper could also take him down, and it'd be an easier path to victory. Vinny Magalesh, so untrustworthy that if anything, you would just take the shot on Jordan Young mm-hmm. to survive the first round and just hit him in the head once. Cesar Mutanch, again, he's generally has a bad chin and is not super durable, but this is a stylistical matchup that favors him here. He gets this fight to the ground. He's got much better jiu-jitsu than Nick Rorick, so at minus 170. He's not parlay piece, though. Tony Carlos Jr. should smoke Tom Lawler. He really should. Tom Lawler Tom Lawler's wrestle. been professional, right? Like, pro- exactly. Not the right type of professional Usada, wrestling. We saw a positive test, three years of pro wrestling, ballooned up to like 230 pounds. I assumed he's never. Tons of injuries. I assumed he's never going to come back. 37 years old, and he's filthy Tom Lawler. Carlos Jr., for as big of a bust as he is, probably shouldn't have been cut from the UFC and very much peels Tom Lawler to the ground, takes his back here. So again, he's going to be parlay piece. Um, I haven't really been able to look at this Hamlet as much as I'd want to, but I would auto-fade Dan Spawn in a lot of spots, so it makes sense to me. And Zeferino versus Tebow. I was feeling Tebow. I feel like uh, it was plus 110 at the opener, so you could have got dog money on him. It's starting to even up a little bit now. But um, Joanne Zeferino, you know, he's, he's the bigger body. He's a little bit younger. They both have decent jiu-jitsu black belts. Tebow's a Ricardo Laborio guy, formerly at ATT. Zeferino's, I believe, Henzo Gracie. So if it ends up being grappler versus grappler, Zeferino could have a lot of success. They both have bad gas tanks. They're both a little bit older, but, you know, that one's a, that one's a probably a pass. If you're betting it right now before the odds start to get crazy, I would put Rory McDonald in a parlay. Rory, let me just parlay. Rory, Nikolai, Ray Cooper the third, and Antonio Carlos Jr.? Yeah, you put Ray. That's you parlay put, pays plus one forty one. Ray, Ray Ray Rory and Antonio is minus one twenty. I mean, it was Dog City last week at uh, PFL, but well, right. That's why you don't want to get the wrong dogs. And then I would put uh, Nikolai Alexikin on that second line, and then you're you're getting plus one forty two. Those four, those are the ones that you're looking at. I'll, I'll update it as anything becomes more prevalent. I, know, I haven't seen Wayans as well, so. We'll see there, but uh, what you what you like to see out of out of PFL the first time around is that you're getting some of these upsets out of the way. Mm-hmm. 
but they're all hindsight. They're all hindsight fights. So Bubba Jenkins had already wrestled um, Lance Palmer twice in college and whooped his ass both times. Mm -hmm. So he went out there not looking to fight. He went out there looking to wrestle because he knew he could wrestle him, and he did. So in, in, in hindsight, everyone should have bet Bubba Jenkins, right? He was a live underdog at, the, at that money. Now you got uh, what's his name, the Brazilian kid, fifty-five or out of ATT. Um, doesn't matter. He fights Marcin Held, right? And again, Marcin Held is one of these guys that is a career bust. But you know, if he goes out there and he takes Nate down, it's like he is Marcin Held. He's a strong guy, fifty-five. He's got good wrestling, and he's got really good BJJ. So when he's able to start going out there and getting these takedowns on him, it's like he's just going to grind this this pace down, grinds the pace down, gets the win. And then we didn't get fooled by the Anthony Pettis one. We saw that one. But as a whole, you have three. And that was my only bet on that card. You have three huge favorites. I saw a lot of people on the Bubba Jenkins one, one, though. Six to one favorite. Yeah, yeah, again, because uh, if you spend if you spend more time, you're not trying to research UFC and and, and use uh, research the Bellator card and research this and that and trying to take a break and you got a family, all these different things, and you actually just sat there and researched the PFL, you would have come to the conclusion that the line's off. Look at this card, right? How many three-to-one favorites are on this card? One, one. The PFL card, it's like there's, there's four or five of them, right? So are, do they, are they live? Do they have a shot? The fact that people don't have time to properly tape study it is the reason Clay Collard and that's the reason is why such a big underdog. And why you're getting value on a because bunch Because you of these know lines. Anthony Pettis. You know Anthony Pettis. The casual person is just like, Pettis is on this card? Oh, man. Oh, he's really fallen from grace. But he, who's he fighting? Clay Collard? Oh, Never let me heard look, of him. Let Never me look up that him. guy. Oh, well, he lost to uh, this guy and this guy. And it's just like, yeah, but you didn't follow through with what he's been doing since then. And a lot of his fights were pretty competitive, even in the ones that he lost. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's like Anthony Pettis was a UFC world champion. And even his losses in the UFC are oh, is he completely shot Wikipedia says he won his last fight it's like dog he lost the first round to Brandon Morono Alex Morono sorry Alex Morono yeah yeah Brandon Moreno <laughs> imagine that you know what I wouldn't even find it shocking at this point in Pettis's <laughs> career uh he lost the first round to Alex Morono like he's done the UFC paid him $280,000 for that fight do you think they were looking to bring him back no so they released him so PFL signs him on the pretense of you, you could win a million dollars but it's like I don't know, man. Clay Collar did a... It was a poor man's version of what uh, Edson Barbosa did. Just march him back, man. March him back. Lay those hands on him. Cause him to doubt himself. It's not often that you're going to hit those big fat underdogs. So that felt nice. And then we had a Randy Brown by submission prop. That felt nice. And then the parlays just caved in. I hit, so. I hit Molina. I hit... Uh, oh, the prelims are looking good, my man. Prelims are crushed. I know. Molina, I know. Vargas, I had that. I Pollard. had that fight I was just, just go to decision. I was starting to like look at like the rest of the path. And I was just <laughs> like, I'm going to be rich after tonight. Mm -hmm. And then, the, yeah, the main card ate into those profits quite a bit. But it was still a, it was a winning week. Um Thank you, Clay Collard, really. Yeah, and realistically, that was like a magical card, you know. Uh, the fights were theoretically one-sided and didn't last all that long, but they were all like very unique moments. The main event, pretty crazy. Kamaru Usman is like maybe a career-best performance knocking out Masvidal. But that KO, man, the way the sweat flies off George's head, the way Baptized. that he absolutely sleeps, Masvidal, super necessary with that follow-up ground and pound. Like, like, Somebody asked shit. him about that afterwards. Then for Rose to head kick... Uh, communism right in the head, you know, and pull one over for, like I tweeted out, capitalism wins again. Rose Namajunas getting the job done, but just 
a highlight reel, head kick, and a, a huge moment for Rose Namajunas, who's a fighter who's paid her dues, so you can't help but actually feel like, even though you lost, I lost bets on that when I lost money, you can't help but feel happy for her, right? She's uh, she's an OG, she's earned everyone's respect. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Valentina Shevchenko, like maybe another career best performance. Everyone was excited, that was like... Best performance from this, Val. This one could be more competitive, at least, and it's like she made it look easier than a- any other fight she's No, had. I know, I thought that she like was like the... It looked like Cachoeira all over again. I thought that she was like. the... I stayed away from that fight completely and then you had and, a broken I mean, leg and watching and her look like look ankle. like the female reincarnation of habib um just absolute domination i mean the it only all, it was all, the only fight for valentina is nunez do the third yeah but none of those they're fights, not none i don't those think they're in a rush to do it but like that's really like she's gonna kill everybody at 125 right now um, yeah, I would agree. I don't know who's going to fight her, but again, like Dana said, there's always somebody that's coming up the ranks that they're going to slot into that spot. It's a shame that a girl like, I know she fights at 115, but Tatiana Suarez, right? If she could have just not been injured, stayed on the course, at least she's got that like wrestling where it could, you yeah, know, it it's could, at a, it could be a fact. It's at a level that Valentina, I'm sure she worked on it and she's gotten good, but this is a Olympian level wrestling, like. Tatiana should have the edge. Right. Outside of her, it's like, you know, a girl like Mackenzie Dern on paper has the kind of grappling, but she ain't getting that fight to the ground. No. And she ain't standing with her. So, but again, she's improving in all those areas, but someone always comes around. Valentina's 33, so she dominates for another two years, and then at 35, somebody comes out of the woodwork. But it's just the way the sport goes, right? Father time, or in this case, mother time. Wins outright in the end. So yeah, we'll I mean that's we'll to see. that's right on right on brand with our last time in this in this very studio, Father Time. Yeah, yeah, Father it's, Time. It's ran its course, but the show will not go anywhere. We're gonna be back every single week. I mean, you had such like a heartfelt uh, goodbye speech last week. I don't know how we top it. To be perfect, no, honest. I know. And Pat wanted us to keep it. He's got some shit he's gonna do. Yeah, he's so got some we'll, shit to we'll, do. We'll I get think out we're. Here. Yeah, we're, we're but uh, thanks for the memories. Thanks for the beers. It's been a pleasure. Um, we're going to continue to do the show. But yeah, it's been seven years, man. Started in April of 2014. Seven years doing the show in studio. Prior to that, I met Paul Shaughnessy. I went to College of Sports Media. and uh, Everyone else was talking about hockey in the radio booth. And me and Cody would talk about the upcoming UFC. Uh, not true. No, it was well, Pat would talk true. about oh, he, like, hate, yeah, Pat he would talk about like baseball or something. Golf and baseball and that jazz. But we, yeah, we talked fights, man. It was my college buddy, the only guy in college that wanted to talk fights. So we would do like radio roundtables. And I don't consider that in the time we did shows together. This, this is all like 2011, right? Mm-hmm. We would do shows together in college. And uh, both graduate, go to College of Sports Media. And Pat, same thing, man. I met you guys both. You and I gelled right off the get-go. We were friends. Pat didn't gel with Pat right off the get-go. Pat's a polarizing character, right? You either love Pat Mayer you hate Pat Mayo. I think oftentimes the first time you meet Pat Mayo, you're going to get one of these... I think sides. that's less true these days. No, no, no. Let me finish, man. Let me finish. Pre, by, pre-marriage Pat Mayo was, was a wild man. By, by, a shit-eating wild by man. By Canadian Thanksgiving of that first year at CSM, I remember talking to my dad being like, oh, Pat's the, the quarterback on our CSM pickup football team. Like, He's a total dick, whatever. He's a really imposing character, whatever. By by like midway through that year, Pat was a, you know a, a a buddy of mine. By the end of that year, Pat was a good friend of mine. After college, Pat goes his own way, goes to New Jersey. You and I got a job at Fight Network, so working we're working in Toronto. Pat's gone. I'm living at Tap Out. There's a gym. Tap Out the brand owns a gym in Burlington. I'm living like in a small office space above it. I shower in like this is after hours. I got a key to the place after the hours, right? It closes at ten o'clock. I have to go to like the communal shower for like gym members shower there small little kitchenette stay there for three months 
and Pat's coming back from New Jersey, moving back to Toronto, apparently looking for a roommate. Mm -hmm. So I link up with him thinking, you know what? Good friend of mine, but also this is a guy that's going to elevate me as a person and as a someone looking to make a career out of this. Being with Pat, and it did, man, it did. We move in together. We stayed together for two, two and a half years. Great fucking time. Seeing his work ethic, seeing this guy goes to bed at three o'clock in the morning, wakes up at five thirty in the morning, churning out articles, making videos for every site, promoting his own brand. All the work this guy put in it, it was just like, I would just want to replicate that shit, man. So then you and I, I pitched the idea to you. I'm like, let's just do a show, man. And you actually weren't going for it at first. You were like, dude, people, people don't give a shit. People don't give a shit. But we were doing a show. We were talking about news. Me, you, and Kent talking about news. Nobody gave a shit about that. Who the fuck gave a shit about that? And that's no. what I said. I said, no one gives a shit anyways. And Fantasy Sports Network launches. That's why Pat came back from New Jersey. They launched. He's got, like, executive decision-making skills, what, what they want to put on air. And they're putting the sin bin on air. So I know we can get on air. <laughs> I know we can get on air. So I'm just like, dude, let's just do it. What's sin Main bin? event, Cody's a man in the sin bin. It's a great premise. You just throw somebody in the sin bin every week. This guy fucking sucks. He's in the sin bin. So okay. It was funny shit. Um, anyways, I, I pitch it. Kent fans out after, like, five, six episodes. Sean McCormick filled in for an episode or two. And then it was just like seven years of you and I, when you and Pat, or you got released from Finaric, Pat ended up quitting on his own. Uh, it was just like, how does the show survive? But there Pat was with the platform, yep. which is Pat, the reason why we're Pat here. Pat revived it again. Which is the reason that you're wearing the hat. And it was yep. like, we took like maybe a two month hiatus in between. You were doing I some was car salty. I got shit. fired. You got, you, I remember you were telling situation. me, you're like, oh, you're allowed to come in and do this show. I was just like, what? Come in, do the show? the company had just fired me for free well they were like we want to keep the show going <laughs> yeah. i'm like well why did you fire him then and they're like well you know if he wants to come in well you know whatever pay you 50 bucks an episode they never said that to me well at that point you wouldn't have taken the money because you're, 50 you're, bucks, you're I a proud guy you i remember just being like why don't you just hop on unemployment for a little bit and you're like disgusted with the idea and being like no 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 i'm gonna go you got a job parking cars yeah because that's how proud you are and that's how you were raised and i knew your family and it's the same thing hard work ethic but like you wouldn't take the free handout so the show's been a grind such as life we've grinded through uh i just want to say thanks to pat for always being there and having the platform and teaching me show so much i want to thank you for being one of my best friends one of my guys that i can watch fights with talk fights with and and again, man, it's been an extreme ride. And then for the fans that have been there from the get-go, but more so the last two years is how the show's kind of been blowing up. Um, and for anybody that watches the show that's got their own show, right, uh, just know it's not, it just doesn't get popular in a year. It doesn't get just popular in two years. Like, you, you, do, you go through the grind. You have good nights. You have bad nights. You have people that fans support come, you. Fans come. Fans go. Fans come. Fans go. You get a follower. You lose a follower. But it's just do it for yourself and just keep going. You're proud of your work. You're, you stay humble. And that, that wins outright. So, again, to all the guys like the Daniel Levies of the world and Brett Appley. Remember, Brett Appley took our spot on Fantasy Sports Network when you guys got fired. Uh, and it's just like those guys have paid their dues. Those guys have paid their respects. Those guys have been there for a long time. So, anyways, yeah, I'm just proud of what we've accomplished. I know that the show does go on. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's a funeral for uh, yeah, for the Dogger is, Pass podcast. Uh, this is not a goodbye. This is a see you later. Yeah, it's just a see in a different in a different version for now. We'll get a couple live in studio shows per year, and uh, the war wagon rolls on. Oh yeah, we're not stopping. We're, we're not fucking leaving. Cody, I said. wanted to thank you too. Uh, but mainly because remember that time you threw the tequila bottle out of our window? You just did a complete 180 at like three o'clock in the morning with a, I'd say still quarter full tequila bottle, hucked it at our, well, we had like a Juliet balcony. So it was just like glass all around it. Somehow 
It goes directly through the window, hits the U-Haul truck across the street on the windshield, and it didn't shatter. And poor Mike Clay was so terrified he had to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Mike Clay came down. And he was a, he's a big shot, too. He does, like, the NFL Madden video yeah, games Yeah, ESPN's and stuff. Mike Clay. And they, and, and they were like, Pat, here's $500. Go and show Mike Clay a good time. So we go to a dive bar. So he invites and 500 a, bucks goes real far. He invites us day, idiots yeah. over who are just oh, getting man. lit. And so, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, he had a good yeah. time until Cody... You probably terrified. Him. I threw a bottle of tequila off of a nine-story balcony and uh, <laughs> smashed a U-Haul truck. It actually ricocheted right off the top. Yeah, it didn't smash somehow. Yeah, I knew there was no pedestrians in the bottom of the street. I don't even know why I threw it. I threw your hat off moments before. I was just real booze at the time. I mean, it happens. And to that's the best why of I us. give Zoo Rong a pass, right? Because again, he's 21 years old. He loses a fight to the UFC against Kazula Vargas. It is what it is. I was selling weed, <laughs> hanging out at Pat. We, we, you know, we we leased an apartment together, and uh, weed was illegal. Whatever, there was some decent money in it. A lot of people wanted to buy it, and it was like that. That's what kept me afloat, right? So, to go from that to where I am now, to build stuff up, it's been a long journey. It's been cool, um, and yeah, yeah, we're gonna keep going up and up from here. But uh, I know so we're not allowed I to were, shake hands. If I were to want of, weed, I couldn't get some from you right now. Well, you, there's so I'm many dispensaries now. Yeah. yeah, literally, they took your jib. They took my jib. No, no, no. It just got so heat because people would come up to you at work and be like, hey, uh, what time are you off? <laughs> and you'd be like, five, five o'clock. And they'd be like, do you uh, mind if I swing by? <laughs> you're like, like, literally, your bosses are there and shit. Yeah, and then you're like, no, I think Pat's at the apartment right now. He'll, uh, he'll help you out. You'll like, yeah, we'll just jar- show up to the door and be like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, there's a, there's a scale in the corner of the room and a quarter pound is weighed out yourself. I don't know. I sold to buddies of mine, so it wasn't like super sketchy in that regard. But dude, there was money in weed, man. Think about it. Zoo Rong got paid twelve grand. It was like you'd have to fight. I won two fights in the UFC selling weed that year. You know what I mean? It was much better than fighting Kazulo Vargas in the octagon. Let me tell you, hundred percent. All right, we're just about out of time here. But before we go, hit him with the PRP. We're gonna go with Yuri at the top. Cub Swanson, dog number one. Ian Kudalaba, Sean Strickland, Cody Stamen, dog number two. Pollyanna Botello. Uh, Panero, Gabriel Benitez, TJ Brown, dog number three, Loma, Mikolaitis, and Luke Sanders. So, what, 13 fights, three underdogs. Again, there's a couple other ones that are live in these spots. You know, maybe Jonathan Pierce, maybe a Felipe Corrales. I'm sure the Corrales one, just like every time. Just like when I bet Bum Fabinski, you know, my heart got the better of me. And you were too smart for it. And you're probably too smart for Luke Sanders in this spot, too, but... No, I can't do that. I'm gonna. I'm I gonna took the under because I fully expect him to do something stupid. But who knows? My God, Luke Sanders. Or something stupid to happen in that fight. It'll look like I'm going to lose, and then all of a sudden. So are we? Are we taking any breaks start. between shows? So you guys are moving. That's not the plan. No, no. Next week's no. gonna be a show. It's gonna be a show. You guys will just call me in. Okay. Yeah. yeah we'll make it. Work. We might have the. We might have the studio set up by ne- next Wednesday. We can just do a video show next week if everything works. That's the plan. The okay. plan is it'll just be, yeah, you on, you know, Zoom or Skype or whatever and back at her. All right. Next week's card's just, actually... Just get your internet hardwired and you'll be good. Next week's so card's actually pretty baller. It's it's uh, some a really nice offering next week from the UFC. But anyway, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftik and Pat Mayo, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.